Welcome to the Market in Motion podcast for financial advisors, presented by FMG Suite. Listen to interviews with the movers, shakers, geniuses, and innovators of the financial advisory world. Visit FMGSuite.com to discover more great resources and products to transform you into an extraordinary marketer and grow your advisory. And now, without further delay, the Market in Motion podcast for financial advisors. Hi, everybody. Mike Woods here, one of the founding members of FMG Suite. Welcome to the Market in Motion podcast for financial advisors. Today, I'm excited to be joined by Professor Jamie Hopkins, who's Director of Retirement Research at Carson Wealth. Among his other areas of interest, Jamie has researched and written extensively on the topic of digital estates. Digital estates is a phrase that I can't remember hearing 10 years ago. It seems that it has become more in fashion in recent years as digital assets, digital estates, digital digital material becomes more commonplace. And the, the thought is what to do with your digital material when you pass or what to do with your digital material when you become incapacitated. Well, Jamie is a writer and a speaker, and he approaches, uh, areas, uh, he approaches areas and ideas from a financial advisor perspective. So sit back, take a listen. Jamie's going to talk to us for about 30 minutes on digital estates, and I'm sure you'll enjoy it. On with the show. Hi, everybody. Mike Woods here, one of the founding members of FMG Suite. Welcome to our podcast today. Uh, today, I'm excited to be joined by Professor Jamie Hopkins, who is the Director of Retirement Research at Carson Wealth. Among his other areas of interest, Jamie has written extensively on the topic of digital estates. Jamie, are you ready for some uh, fast pitch questions today on digital estates? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. And yeah, it's, a, it's an area that I absolutely love. So I'm, I'm ready for all the questions you can throw at me. <laughs> yeah, it's an area that certainly has uh, has come on quite a bit in the last couple of years. Well, I, what, before we get started, I'd encourage everyone to take a few minutes and connect with Jamie on Twitter. He's at retirement risks, uh, at retirement risks. Uh, and also I'd encourage everyone who's on the podcast today to open a browser while you're listening, if you have the chance and jot down a few notes as Jamie and I talk about digital estates. Jamie is a writer and speaker, and he approaches the ideas from financial advisors perspective. So take advantage of this opportunity and you might get a few social posts or blog ideas during the next 30 minutes or so. All right, so Jamie, let's hit the ground running. Let's uh, let's start off by defining for everyone what is a digital estate. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, when I first started talking and writing about this, actually, I think it's been about maybe almost nine years ago now. I mean, nine or ten years ago, I've been working on digital asset planning. Uh, you know, it was not very well received originally. Uh, and what I mean by that is just people would hear the concept, I oh, kind of just throw up the, we don't really need to worry about this. Well, fast forward ten years, I'd say generally when people hear digital assets or digital estate, the first thing that's coming to people's mind today is still Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies, and they still throw up a little bit of their arms and say, well, we don't really engage in that. And then I've got to take it a step further and say, well, do you have email? And if the answer is yes, you have email, which almost everyone I know at this point has email, right? You need to start thinking about a digital estate and digital asset planning. And so that's going to be a really big piece of this is just kind of figuring out what is it that we're talking about and what do we need to do in order to put a plan in place. Now, the reason that we have this whole concept of digital estates is that the digital assets that we have in this digitalized world where our photos are online, our businesses are online, right, our connections are online, our communications, right, our currencies are moving online. I mean, even the United States. 
United States government is looking at a digital currency. Well, the traditional mechanisms for transferring assets don't work very well when we kind of move to an online world that wills and trusts and, you know, lockboxes uh, at home with uh, all of the information in them. It's a very different world. And so the planning around this actually needs to be different. And we'll get into uh, some of the laws that have come on the books here to drive this. But essentially, the concept is we have a lot of stuff that's online today. And we need to have a plan for the transfer and management of that, both during incompetency, end of life, and through the estate planning process. Yeah, you know, as you talk about that, um, your interest in it 10 years ago, it really has come on quite a bit in the last couple of years, where while email's been around for 20 years, it really wasn't Mm -hmm. a concept that people considered, what do I do with my personal email? What do I do with some of my digital assets that really has taken root, I would say, in just the last couple of years. Yeah. And and I mean, if you go back 10 years ago, there's a couple of reasons why it wasn't that big yet. Well, the majority of people who pass away are what? Are they 20 years old, 30, Uh, 40, 50? No. So so they weren't the initial users um, of kind of, you know, the whole digital world of email. People who are passing away 10 years ago are generally 70 plus. Um, Now, obviously, people pass away all across the scale, but it wasn't a group with a tremendous amount of digital assets. In fact, the really first cases we got about this were actually young military members who passed away in Afghanistan and Iraq, and then their families were trying to get access to email communications and other digital assets. And those actually sparked from uh, the first lawsuits. And so, you know, this is what I'd say is still even the kind of wave of where this problem really is going to occur. Uh, We're still probably 10 to 15 years down the road from this actually being a huge issue. So that's good news is that we have some time to plan for this. And then the second piece is just that digital adoption and that view that your online profile and all this stuff we have online has value to it. And I would say the area where more of our clients and the, 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 you know, the retirees that I go out and talk to see value here now is actually not in saying my Facebook has a dollar value, my email has a dollar value, but they understand now the risk that digital theft and those online thefts posed to somebody, right? They, that aspect of the world, they're starting to realize, you know what, there's some real risk associated with this. Even if I don't view it as worth $1,000, I know that there's risk associated. So planning here in the estate planning process is also really just a risk mitigation standpoint. So we don't have identity theft. We don't have your email stolen. You don't have your credit card, your banking online stolen. So that's becoming a bigger part of this that, that I'm actually seeing easier buy-in from clients and uh, advisors out there. Interesting. Fascinating. Uh, You did a quick video the other day and talked about Mm -hmm. the um, revised Uniform Fiduciary Access (laughs) to Digital Estate Act. Let me give that one more time. (laughs) Almost got it, right? The the revised Uniform Fiduciary Access to Digital Asset Act Rufada, right? Rolls right off the tongue. Right (laughs) off the tongue. Yeah, but I was looking at that and thinking, oh boy, well, there's a, there's, there's, there's a, well, I guess you can make anything into an acronym. Uh, <laughs> let's talk. Let's take a few minutes because one of the things you talked about in that video was the traditional estate planning tools, mm-hmm. such as wills and trusts and power of attorney, don't necessarily apply as that new rule has rolled out. And it really is. Uh, was it a couple of years ago that that became law? Yeah. So the the first kind of iteration of this probably started maybe 2015. Now Delaware ended up passing a rule, and uh, 
Delaware's rule, uh, all of a sudden, Delaware, New York, California tend to be a little bit more proactive with their uh, legislation, their rulemaking. And so they got something out there. And all of a sudden, it basically shot fireworks out and Google and Facebook and Amazon got real worried. And they said, look, we've got to get involved with this. So they went back to the Uniform Law Commission, got everyone back together and redlined Delaware's and 95% of it was changed. And so this new, and that's why it's called the revised now. Right, um, right. And they, they rolled out with a new one. And so over the last two years, that's been adopted in almost every state. I believe there's uh, maybe only three or four states that don't have it on the books yet. Um, but over the next year or so, uh, we kind of expect every state to have this passed um, or a version of it. Um, you know, states sometimes modify a little bit of the language here and there um, when they pass their own legislation. You know, some some person in there says, hey, I'd rather word it this way. So they sure. make small changes. But the general construct and theme of that is is been pretty much intact throughout uh, kind of almost every state now. And what this rule really dealt with was um, an issue that we were having when people were passing away and they were going to their email service provider and you know their executor their heirs were saying hey we want access to jamie's email he passed away as my dad we want we want the email access and the service providers were coming back and saying you know what we can't give it to you it's you know it, it's we just can't give it to you and so it started sparking lawsuits and it was really this access to these assets um, now, this is where it starts getting a little bit complicated. We'll try, I'll try to make this as simple as I can, as you say. Sometimes I do short videos. I'm also a professor, so I lecture, <laughs> which is a, a real risk with me at any moment in time. But where all of this starts is going back to what we call terms of service agreements, sure. COSAS, right? Another yeah. acronym. And that is that document that when you set up your email, when you set up your iTunes account, whatever it is online, and you scroll to the bottom of something as fast as humanly possible and hit, I agree, right? You didn't read any of it. And it was all, you know, 50 pages long. And you just scroll to the bottom and I agree. And you moved into your account. Well, in that document, right, those are legally binding contracts. And that's been litigated for, you know, decades now too, um, as, as click agreements. And what that said somewhere in there, almost across the board for online service providers is that you have a limited lifetime lease in the account, meaning that you cannot leave the account to anyone. You cannot sell it, Facebook, email, Intuit, TurboTax, right? Uh, iTunes, all of the stuff online essentially falls under the same category of rules. And they say, you have it for life. When you die, you can't leave it to anyone. Mm -hmm. And so that's really your ownership. Uh, unfortunately, no law that the state passes can change the ownership of an asset. That's something you agreed to. It is what it is. But then also in there, almost all of them say you cannot share your password, username. Nobody else has access to this except for you. Now, that's where the government stepped in and said, you know what, for, for the practical purpose of wrapping up somebody's life, of managing their assets, of managing their estate, we need to give individuals the ability to pass on access to their fiduciaries, their executor, their trustees, sure. their heirs. Makes sense. Now, what Rufata did that was very interesting is generally speaking, um, what they pretty much said, I'm going to boil this down because that's, again, a, it's a kind of a complex bill, but one of the main things, if you want somebody to have access to your online communication, so the actual emails, the communications inside of it, whatever was inside of that account, whether it's photos, et cetera, you actually have to have specific language in your 
documents. So your will, your power of attorney, your trust documents that specifically states that you give access to that specific fiduciary to access the communications and full kind of, you know, the list of assets in your digital assets. So you actually have to have specific terms there. So the kind of catch-all, my fiduciary has access to all of my assets won't work. And so what that means is pretty much every will, trust, power of attorney, uh, state document that we have that's more than two years old is out of date. Right. And right. I, I say that to people, and I don't think it always resonates. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, you know, people think that's, you know, the hyperbola. Oh, some guy's out there saying everything's broken. I mean, this is literally under state law, right, saying that they're out of date because it will not give your fiduciaries access to those accounts. Period, right? That is state law now. Um, the American Bar Association, which I helped draft um, some of their um, uh, kind of uh, guidance on this, um, didn't come out till last January. So, I mean, it's not like this has been around for a long period of time. That, that's the leading legal authority on most things, um, you know, besides the Supreme Court, uh, the American Bar Association. We just rolled out the practice guide 101 last January. So, this is fairly new. But it is something we have to get serious about. We've got to start building into the planning. We've got to update our documents because um, it's becoming a very big deal. Sure. Got it. You know, you and I were talking just uh, briefly before we got on the line here with the uh, with the listeners. It uh, it feels almost like you need a an executor and you need a digital executor. Uh, you, you, there's someone that you're going to trust with your 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 affairs. But then there's someone that's going to be a little maybe more tech savvy that can hop on and take care of uh so of some of your digital mm-hmm. assets online. Yeah, and so the the Rufata language that was passed really allowed and kind of opened the door for that and kind of suggests it, right? That like if you want to go down this route, it's not a bad thing to specifically state an executor, trustee, fiduciary that manages this specific asset mm-hmm. because it's very different than, you know, the person that you might want to handle the sale of your house and paying out your kids from your estate right, is a very different person than the person you might want searching through your emails, going through your <laughs> Facebook, right, going on your online accounts, deleting them. Because in some of the cases, like people laugh about, but the reality is, right, people have websites that they subscribe to that they don't necessarily want their traditional executor to be sure. aware of. Absolutely. All right. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> like, we don't need to go into what those are, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but they exist, right? Sure. Sometimes it's an online gambling site, right? And they gamble a little bit and they don't want their spouse to know that they were doing that. And so we can actually add instructions to a digital executor or trustee to go in. And part of the job is just deleting that online footprint because it doesn't really go away, right? It's permanent. I often talk about, right? Uh, you know, kind of your your afterlife in the cloud, right? And that's that permanent digital footprint that you might have. And for some things, it's just going and deleting accounts, deleting personal information, deleting credit cards. So if somebody hacks that after we pass away, they didn't get our information. Now fraudulent charges start showing up to sure. our surviving spouse, right? Um, so there's a lot of things you can do there. And you're right, the skill set to manage digital assets is not necessarily the skill set that we're looking for with the traditional fiduciary or executor. Right, right. You know, the um, some of the articles that I read on this were talking about, uh, you know, the, 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 the advantages and limitations of, well, saying, uh, you know, putting down a list of your passwords on mm-hmm. an account. Mm-hmm. So if you become incapacitated or die, but you know, as I thought about that, I said, well, that may create a whole different set of problems, especially <laughs> if a person is accessing your accounts after you're dead. 
Yeah, so uh, kind of two things there. Uh, the general kind of best practice is still to leave some type of password, username, location of all your assets to whoever is going to be legally in charge of those accounts. Um, so my part on that is, you know, one, that's a, that's actually kind of a complex task today. I, I think I was reading something, it's probably even higher today, but that uh, the average American has 87 online yep. accounts or something. And I saw that. 30-some yeah. 30, 30 different passwords. Yep. Um, it's actually good that we have multiple passwords. The kind of one password for everything is a bad idea yep. because if somebody breaks that, then they've got everything. Yeah, that um, ship has sailed. No more one passwords. Yeah. Mm. The other thing is a lot of people store that on an Excel file on their computer. Um, that's also a bad idea. I try to recommend to people, um, you know, and this is going to be harder and harder in the future too, but uh, external hard drives that don't attach to Wi-Fi or other type of Bluetooth devices. So, you know, the flash drives, the external hard drive, you actually mm -hmm. have to plug in. You know, my, I have, uh, I have both at home, but I have a wireless external hard drive, but we really just upload photos to it. So if something breaks into it, they can steal photos of myself and my kids, um, which, you know, is, I don't have as big a problem with it. My wife wouldn't be happy, but, uh, you know, I could live with that. But that's one of the risks of using kind of wireless devices or online devices, if we store all this information in there and they get hacked, um, we kind of lose access to a lot of things. So I think we've got to be careful about the way which we store these. Some people still write it down on the yellow pads and they put that in a drawer. Um, you know, there's, again, if your house gets broken into probably less likely to occur than online theft at this point. So there's probably some security sure. still there yeah. with that. Right, right. Um, but that's a piece. Um, so we do have to somehow manage that. Now, technically, if we pass along the fiduciary access points, that's where these service providers are going to be required to give us access. Now, um, that doesn't mean they're going to give you the account because the agreement in that term of service agreement is that you don't own the account. So they can do a data dump to you. They uh, can, gotcha. if, if we don't add that specific language about access to communications, like what Google and email ones will do, is actually just give you a list of the emails that are in there but you have no access to the actual email. So that's why putting that language in your documents is so important because honestly, it's not all that helpful to have a list of the people who sent you emails. We actually need access to the emails, uh, you know, to probably properly wrap this up. So uh, there's a lot of things if we're not doing that proactive planning, we'll lose access to. Now, the last piece, if somebody accesses these, right, um, let's say you leave your passwords there sure. and then you don't add this language into your trust power of attorney will about digital assets and, and access to the communications and somebody pulls your passwords, you know, your kids and they go log in. Technically, they're probably violating federal law. Um, there's a lot of kind of computer anti, you know, anti theft uh laws out there at the federal level and accessing somebody's online accounts without proper authority is violation of federal law. And we've had uh, those cases arise. So we do have to be careful if we're the heirs about using passwords and if a list was there, right, without knowing whether we were actually granted that legal access. Now, Granted, the online service providers like Google and Amazon and th those ones aren't really the ones policing this. But if you had a family member that got mad about it and said, you know what, you know, your brother, sister, whoever, you weren't supposed to go into those accounts. 
right? Uh, we get family infighting here, and that could actually lead to an issue. Um, if somebody challenged that, the the rightful executor challenged the other kid um, in court about it, um, and the fines are pretty serious at the federal level. It's actually a thousand dollars per transaction. So if you pulled a, th <laughs> think about that, you pull a thousand emails out oh at a thousand dollars a pop, right? I mean, and that's a federal fine. It's you know we're not talking about you know something that's uh, kind of low stakes here. So this is pretty serious stuff. So doing proper planning here is pretty important in understanding where the kind of the bounds are. And, you know, as I always say with the estate planning, you know, like we always think, oh, our family's going to get along. Well, if you've dealt with the estate planning world, you find out really quickly it can tear the closest families apart very, very quickly. Oh, sure. Oh, sure. I think you, I think we all see those very publicly when uh, when someone mm -hmm. famous dies, but uh, it's just yeah. <laughs> likely to happen elsewhere. Yeah, whether it's $100 million or $100, we see people, you know, I mean, completely fall apart over estates. Um, so, you know, kind of doing that planning is very important. Yep, yep. You know, it's, uh, uh, you know, what you touched on earlier is, is very true, just that the, um, we're, we're at the, the, really the initial formation of this wave because many of the people that have passed haven't had as many digital assets. Mm -hmm. You know, in the past year, um, I, I've, I wanted to talk about something that maybe is a little uncomfortable, but I think it's appropriate that we at least address it, that uh, I had a friend pass away about six months ago, and they had hooked up to a, a service that sent out LinkedIn posts, and for mm -hmm. about six months after they passed away, I was still getting posts from them. <laughs> and, yep. and another person that uh, I knew of recently passed away, and uh, his profile is still up on his website, and it's been two, three months, and it looks like it's business as usual. So, yep. I, you know, I think these uh, these are starting to happen a little more frequently, a little more quickly. And uh, what I guess I guess what I'm looking for kind of from you is like, uh, how do, how do we how does someone create a plan for that? Uh, it's it's not really necessarily something they want to want to focus on. But boy, these are these are uncomfortable circumstances. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you probably have three pieces of the plan here that are important. Um, you know, I have something that I published in Journal of Financial Planning, maybe three or four years ago now, going back, uh, that actually walks through a 10-step process. Uh, and there's a document that goes along with that for setting up an estate plan uh, on, for digital assets. So um, it's a little bit more complex than what I'm going to give you now. But the first one is just identifying what you have, right? Mm -hmm. As an individual, identify what you have update those estate planning documents to be in compliance with the new laws, right? And I, I always say that's an easy one. There's no reason why your documents should be out of compliance with the law. Right. Um, so right. update them to be there, right? And then provide some guidance to whoever that fiduciary or executor is going to be. So um, that doesn't have to be super detailed, um, but you could say, hey, you know, my social media, my business stuff, wrap that up the stuff with financial value, get the, as much of that out as we can, and then just kind of clean up my online, you know, footprint. Um, that's not terribly difficult. Now, that's going to put a lot of work on that executor fiduciary. As you said, LinkedIn, if you signed up with Hootsuite or something where it's pushing these auto-generated marketing stuff out from a deceased person, it's odd, it's uncomfortable. Um, Facebook has moved to adding uh, almost what we would call 
a kind of beneficiary style aspect to it where mm-hmm. you can set up somebody who uh, has the right to memorialize that. So I had a friend pass away uh, a couple of years ago and you'd still get, hey, it's her birthday. Do you want to like nudge her, poker, all these things? And people would still be writing happy birthday and stuff like that and weren't realizing that she had passed away. But you can actually memorialize that. Um, Google has a kind of beneficiary-like feature now, too, where you can pass over the Google access upon inactivity for a certain period of time. So the more online places are starting to add their own features in there. Um, And under Rufata, those will actually control over your estate planning documents like a beneficiary designation would. So if you go into Google and Facebook and add those in there, those will actually take control over anything else. So you can start to add the instructions and access points through the service providers. And and that's just going to grow. You know, these service providers are going to want to control that the access points themselves, um, it, it would be my guess. So you see kind of two of the larger ones have moved down that route. So I'd expect to see more and more of that moving forward. But, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, just to wrap up three simple things, right? Know where your stuff is, update your estate planning documents and provide some instruction, right? Uh, that's pretty much what you have to do, simply put. Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, yeah, you know, I would, uh, I would imagine, you know, Facebook and Google have taken strides in this area it's uh that they'll they'll create the they'll be the, the speedboat <laughs> and everybody else will follow in their wake yeah they're the they're, they're the heavy players they're, out there the, right? yeah so. they're the heavy yeah and they're not, they generally um they generally like to set their own rules versus having the state dictate to them what uh, they should be doing yeah, well, they, you know, Delaware tried to, and then they all came in and said, no, 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 we're going to drive this. Yeah. <laughs> that uh, happened. All right, let's let's throw a curveball. We're uh, we're coming to an end here, but I wanted to throw one out just for fun. Let let's say a person owns a Bitcoin account, and I, and I think you mm-hmm. touched on that a little bit, or they own uh, Facebook and uh, a Libra, or you know, you even mentioned, mm-hmm. you know, the federal, the U.S. government's talking about a digital currency. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's ha- what? Give an idea of what, how something like that would be handled from an income tax and a personal asset standpoint. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, it's a complex area, but generally speaking, today the federal government, IRS, does not view digital currencies as currencies at all. They have to. They view currencies as ones um, from a government. So I guess Venezuela's would probably be the Venezuela has a government digital currency, so they would be the only one um, that counts as a true currency. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. The rest of them are treated more like goods. Um, so the problem with that is any transaction is treated as a taxable event. So if you are to trade a Bitcoin for a Libra, that's a taxable event. So whatever your gain is at that point over your basis of what you paid for it is then taxable. Then whether it is taxable as long-term capital gain, if you're investing, whether it's uh, and using the good as part of the business, or if it's just ordinary income, that gets a little bit more complex. But the main thing there is really just that every transaction is a taxable event. Um, that's what people have to recognize. Um, Also, the problem here is most of the, what we'd say, online wallets and exchanges don't really track uh, very good data on your basis and your transaction history. Um, You're required to track that as an individual. So there's a lot uh, kind of put back on the individual there. I published an article with Forbes uh, last year on this exact thing. So if you're saying, hey, I want more information on when do these things occur, there's some information out there. Uh, you know, kind of on the 
you know, kind of digital asset uh, taxation, but it's complex, but just be aware of it. And as advisors, we're going to need to start talking to clients about this. Um, younger clients, you can go out and look at the data yourself, but many millennials own digital currencies now, and it's becoming a much more popular asset to hold. And, you know, Bitcoin's all over the place, but it's, you know, kind of back up from its flows again to, uh, you know, a, a significant uh, international asset, to, to be honest, whether or not you believe in it or like it, it's got a lot of money. Got a lot of money. And uh, it, it, I think what's important <laughs> is that people remember it's, uh, it's an asset like anything else. So if they were to access it, if someone were to hold two or three Bitcoin and they passed away and you sold it, you would owe taxes on it. Yeah, yeah, we could uh, could see that. You know, we, we might get a step up in basis through kind of the estate process, but any additional gains on it, we we'd probably owe ordinary income tax in that situation. And because Bitcoin's fluctuating, yeah. you know, uh, crazy. I mean, we see you know uh, three thousand swings in a day, uh, three thousand dollars swings in a day. So all of a sudden, we could have an additional six thousand dollars of uh, taxable income two days later. Uh, so that's definitely something, you know, to be watching out for and managing and it. That's going to create it's a whole new set of unique challenges uh, for estate planning. And I think a, a lot of value is actually going to be lost as people pass away and we don't have the personal access points uh, with those that, you know, are very, because uh, nobody can actually give them to you. It's very different than almost any other asset is, uh, you know, like your exchanges can't hand you over the asset. We have to have that personal identification right. number, right. essentially. If we lose that, the asset is, uh, for all intents and purposes, gone. Nobody's able to hack that or repopulate it today. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I had an experience with that in the early days of Bitcoin, where <laughs> if you don't have the right number, it's just nope. gone. It's, <laughs> there's uh, no bank. There's no federal government. It's just the, it just disappeared. Uh, yeah, <laughs> all right. it, it, it's there. You just can't get it. <laughs> you just can't get it unless you can recall that uh, number. All right. Yeah. Let's uh, let's end with this uh, question. I think it's a good one because you're out. Uh, part of your job is out uh, talking with clients, talking with mm -hmm. firms. How do you bring this up? How do you bring up this issue? How do you present the concept of digital estate? Is it is it it seems like it's a, a great point for financial advisors to. To, to start a conversation with clients. Are, are, are you seeing that happen more and more? Give me a perspective on that. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, when I joined Carson Group, uh, it was one of the first things I really said, hey, we have to have a process for, and we've got to start implementing this across the board. And so we're doing that now as a firm. Um, it's part of our estate planning conversation. And it was also, uh, for all advisors out there, it's a great value add, especially right now where a lot of attorneys still haven't gone back and updated the document documents. Now, what I will tell you today is talk to whatever attorney you use first. I've had the problem where I go out and I tell people, oh, this is so important. And then they tell their clients to go talk to the attorney and the attorney's not up to date on it. Oh, boy. Um, and so that's a bad look. So talk to your attorneys first and tell them, hey, we've got to really get ahead of this and start moving on it. And American Bar Association has rules. The state's passed laws on it. You won't get any pushback from attorneys out there. Um, that, that's, it, you're just not going to see it. Um, but then on how you bring it up to individual clients is a little bit different. I'd actually say the easiest one is business owners. Business owners, it's straightforward. It's a slam dunk. It's a huge value add because it also goes into, are we properly titling 
assets. Because um, we have a lot of business owners that set their websites up, their social media, these accounts, their email under their personal name. Sure. That's a huge risk to the ongoing success of the business because we lose those assets if you pass away. The business cannot keep using them. So uh, that title of assets is very important. That's a huge financial risk. Anyone who's got Bitcoin and things like that, easy. The harder one gets to are more senior clients that don't view these as true assets online. And that's where I say you get into the online theft and risk mitigation that, hey, do you buy stuff on Home Depot online? And the husband says yes. And you say, well, you know, Home Depot got hacked a couple years ago and credit card information got stolen. And what if you had passed away right around then? Would your spouse know to go in and shut down that account? And so we need to prepare for that to take care of your heirs so they're not getting fraudulent charges. So you can present this in multiple different ways. Uh, and that's always my opinion on how we work with clients. You have to understand that client, what they want, what resonates with them, what impacts their situation. The whole scheme of this is important for everyone, but it has different trigger and kind of pain points for different people. Gotcha. Perfect. Awesome. Jamie, I can't thank you enough. This was uh, a great interview today. Great uh, podcast. We were able to share this information out. It's a, it's an area that's going to be evolving, coming and going. Mm -hmm. So uh, listeners, don't be surprised if uh, in six months or so we, uh, you see Jamie <laughs> back here as, uh, as some other rules come up because uh, this is a very fluid spot. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on again. And, uh, you know, yeah, you can uh, follow me on Twitter at retirement risk and jamiehopkins.com. Pretty easy to find. <laughs> absolutely. Thanks, Jamie. Have a great day. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Market in Motion podcast for financial advisors. If you found this episode informative, please share with your peers and colleagues. Visit fmgsuite.com to discover more great resources and products to transform you into an extraordinary marketer and grow your advisory. Subscribe and get updates delivered right to your inbox.